Hello and welcome to Dr. Jones's Veterinary Secrets Podcast. This is episode 113. In today's episode, Lyme disease in dogs. What is it and should you vaccinate? If your dog is choking, then do this to help them at home. The stomach worm in dogs and cats. Dr. Jones's Veterinary Secrets is on all your favorite podcast apps, including Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. I'd love it if you'd subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, questions, or suggestions. Feel free to post a comment about this podcast episode on the blog at www.theinternetpetvet.com. Then lastly, I encourage you to get a copy of my new free book, Natural Health for Dogs and Cats, in which I share the most important remedies to keep your pet healthy and naturally treat disease. You can get your copy by going to www.veterinarysecrets.com. Lyme disease in dogs. Lyme disease is a bacterial illness that can be transmitted to people, dogs, and other animals by certain species of ticks. It's caused by the spiral-shaped bacterium called Borrelia, It's carried inside a tick and it gets into a dog or a person's bloodstream through a tick bite. Once in the bloodstream, the bacteria can travel to different parts of the body and cause problems in specific organs or locations, such as the joints as well as overall illness. There's a big difference between human Lyme disease versus canine Lyme disease. First, the human experience. Well, after being bitten by a tick that transmits Borrelia, 80% of people will develop a rash and or flu-like symptoms. In the next few weeks, joint pain ensues, with 15% of people developing neurologic abnormalities associated with Lyme disease, and 5% of people develop a heart rhythm abnormality. At the same point in the infection timeline, dogs have yet to develop any symptoms at all, and 90% of infected dogs, they just never will. Weeks to months after an infection, about 60% of people will experience intermittent arthritis attacks, and about 5% of people, they're going to develop a chronic neurologic condition. In people, Lyme disease has the potential for serious long-term illness. It's very different in our animals. When illness occurs in our dogs, they don't show any signs until weeks to even months after an infection, at which point arthritis may be noticed. But also remember that 90% of dogs, they never show any symptoms. Sometimes there's a fever. In dogs, heart and neurologic conditions are very rare. Plus with our dogs, Lyme disease responds really well to a very inexpensive course of antibiotics. The organism, Borrelia, it's well suited to live in the canine body without causing problems. Most exposed dogs harbor the organism uneventfully. Still, it's important not to discount Lyme disease in dogs completely, you know, because it can cause chronic joint disease, especially in dogs living in the Northeast United States. First, let's look at where ticks live. They're the guys that are carrying the disease. Most of the ticks are likely to be found in tall grasses, thick brush, marshes, and woods, waiting to latch onto your dog when he passes by. A tick can transmit disease once it's been attached to your dog for 24 to 48 hours. The disease was first named when a number of cases occurred in Lyme, Connecticut in 1975. The disease happens in every state, different parts of Canada, but infections risk vary. Over 95% of cases are from the Northeast, the Upper Midwest, and the Pacific Coast. A small number of cases crop up each year along the West Coast, especially Northern California. In Canada, Lyme-positive dogs are found mostly in Southern Ontario and Southern Manitoba. How do ticks get on people and dogs? Well, ticks, they don't jump or fly. They can only crawl. They get onto their host by waiting at the tip of the vegetation. You know, a person walks by, a dog brushes by the long grass, then he quickly grabs on and crawls to find a place to bite. The big point here is that the process of transmitting the organism, Borrelia, from tick to a new mammal 
requires a minimum of 48 hours, meaning that if the tick is removed within two days, 48 hours of attachment, then that little organism, Borreola, can't be transmitted, and your dog, you cannot get Lyme disease. So once again, some of those symptoms that you could see in a dog with Lyme disease, fever, loss of appetite, reduced energy, lameness, generalized stiffness, swelling of the joints. In very rare cases, symptoms can progress to kidney failure. It is a difficult disease to diagnose. Fish in our dogs are dealing with waxing and waning symptoms. You can test for antibody levels, but we know so many dogs have been exposed to it. 90% of the dogs don't even show any clinical signs. There are some specific antibody tests called the C6 test. It detects antibodies against a protein called C6. The presence of these antibodies then suggests an active Lyme infection. And these can be detected three to five weeks after an infected tick bites a dog and may be found in the bloodstream even before the dog shows signs of illness. So that's one of the big things is one knowing, you know, specific active antibodies versus just my dog's been exposed to it, likely not going to be an issue. How is Lyme disease treated? Treatment usually includes antibiotics for at least 30 days. This can include amoxicillin, doxycycline, most dogs respond really well. So part of the big issue here, here is say we've got a dog, we're worried about having Lyme disease, you got a bit of a fever, maybe there's been a tick. Many veterinarians will just go ahead and use a script of antibiotics. And many times by doing that, you know, they've ruled out Lyme disease, they've ruled out Borrella becoming a problem. Ticks can be carriers of other diseases, you know, Ehrlichia, Anaplasma, Babesia. I mean, ticks themselves, they are a big, serious vector. So we really want to be thinking about, you know, decreasing the, the likelihood of tick bites on your dog and yourself. So what can you do to prevent yourself, your dog, from getting Lyme disease or other tick-borne illnesses? One, after you're going for a walk, inspect yourself and your dogs daily. You look really thoroughly behind the ears, you know, in between the foot pads. Really ensure there isn't a tick. If you find one, you remove it as soon as possible. You can get these prop proper tick removers. The big point here is you're grabbing on either side of the tick, you're pulling straight out. And then you're going to put that guy and flush him down the toilet. You know, that just prevent ticks from getting on your dog in the first place. You know, if you're in an area where it's endemic, you know, they're northeast U.S. and you've just got so many ticks, maybe you have to consider a conventional preventive. You know, the ones that I like, I think I've seen the least number of side effects is with Revolution that's using Silomectin. There are some other new ones on the market like Brevecto. They seem to be pretty effective. They just seem to have much higher incidence of side effects. I personally would also avoid Advantix, although it seems to be fairly popular. It is also difficult to be using the alternatives and have them work really effectively. Of all the different ones I've reviewed and looked at, there's one made from a product called Nutcatone. It actually is isolated from the Alaska cedar tree. And the product is actually called Nutka Shield. And it's available at www.nutkashield.com shield.com and it's got probably the most research behind it showing it's probably going to be the most effective uh, holistic tick preventive product and then environmental wise you know just the grass around your house where your dog spends most of his time keep it mowed as short as possible we're just trying to make it more difficult for those ticks to thrive out there there's a natural spray called garlic barrier which is meant for the areas around your house it's been proven to be really helpful for people that have huge huge issues with tick and it's called garlic barrier. I'd also have you consider using that as an option.
What about vaccines? Yes or no? You know, veterinarians and many people are going to talk about vaccines. Should you vaccinate your dog? What's my thought? Well, first of all, we know 90% of dogs have zero problems. We're dealing with one in 10. If you know you have ticks and you're just really aware of how your dog is, if you're concerned at all, you're getting in to see your veterinarian and you can do a short course of an amoxicillin antibiotic, very safe, right? Ruling out the likelihood of any serious chronic Lyme disease infection. Third, you know, just Consider these alternatives really prevent the number of tick bites, the chance of your dog ever getting Lyme disease. Personally, I would not be getting the vaccine. I don't think it's that effective. And I just think the risk of vaccine side effects outweighs the benefits. But talk to your veterinarian. You got to weigh all the issue, risk versus a reward. That's my own take on it. The Heimlich maneuver for dogs, what to do if your dog is choking. Most dogs are going to chew many things, right? That's what dogs do. The problem if something gets lodged in your dog's mouth or the throat and they start to choke, like what do you do? So what are the signs that your dog is choking? Initially, some of these dogs are coughing. They're often like pawing at their mouth or their throat. You can tell like there's something in there that's really irritating them. And then you see like this, <clears throat> it's difficult for them to bring air in. They'll often make this loud wheezing noise, right? So it's like, holy cow, like it's obvious something big is going on. And in like severe cases, in a pretty short period of time when the airway is completely obstructed your dog can become unconscious so what do you do like first thing you recognize your dog's choking they can still pass some air it's like okay just try to be calm but when it gets to the point where it's completely obstructed you've got to like okay you've got to figure this out why are they not able to bring air into their mouth so if you to open your dog's mouth put your finger into the back of their throat you got to sweep the back of their mouth see if you can feel that ball or that chunk of bone that's lodged in the back of their throat if you can hook it try to pull it out like that's the first thing right can you get your finger back in there or can you pull it out the same point by doing that you're confirming okay there is an obstruction in the back of my dog's mouth the back of his throat and like I've got to be able to remove it if you can't remove it, you've got to do the Heimlich so how do you do the Heimlich ideally there's a couple different things here but the principle here is you're putting force on their abdomen their stomach and by doing that that puts force on their diaphragm which then this additional pressure can help dislodge this object that's up in the top of their trachea the easiest way I find is by getting your dog upside down. So if your dog is choking, you're able to pick him up on his back, you want to pick him up and where his head is hanging down, his spine is going to be firmly pressed against your belly, your chest. Then you're going to lock your two hands together, you're going to make a fist with one hand, and you're going to hold your dog firmly against yourself and just underneath his rib cage, so in his stomach, you're going to make five downwards thrusting motions. You're going to bring this fair amount of force because you've really got to put a lot of force on the stomach force on that upper trachea to dislodge that mass so five firm thrusts sort of down and in and then check your dog's mouth again sweep it again if that object is still there the ball is still there repeat that again repeat that again until you can get that out hopefully someone else is there you guys are calling 911 you're getting your dog to emergency clinic as soon as possible so if you're unable to pick your dog up hang them upside down then you're going to make a fist uh, with your left hand, cover that underneath with your right hand. You're going to grab your dog underneath his belly, much in the same way we just did in, in, upside down. But you're going to do it where, where he's standing. So you're going to be putting pressure once again on the upper part of the stomach into the diaphragm, just in behind his rib cage, making these five firm thrusts up and in, up towards the diaphragm. And you're also 
sort of bending really close to your dog so you can put as much force as possible. What I just find is that it's more difficult this way to get enough force on your dog to get that mass out. You can hang them upside down. You've also got you've got the help benefit of gravity that's going to help loosen that mass as well. But regardless, you're trying to put pressure up and in. And that's similar to how a person might do a Heimlich on themselves or you lean over something. Regardless, it's a technique we all should be aware of and know how to do. Like just, you never think it's going to happen and I saw it more than a few times in veterinary practice and you really should know what to do if your dog is choking if they're, and they completely cannot breathe. Like how you can properly do the Heimlich to remove that ball out of your dog's throat. Is there such thing as a stomach worm? What is it? Do you need to be aware of it? Worms, you know, they're parasites, they live inside your pet's body, and they steal away nutrients. There is an array of different worms. There's one called the stomach worm, Ophysalopatera. It mainly lives in the stomach, in the beginning of the small intestine. They can reach lengths of two to three inches. Once ingested by your dog or cat, these stomach worms attach themselves to their stomach or small intestine where they feed off your pet's tissue and blood. You would think every dog and cat would show an array of different clinical signs. Some dogs and cats, they don't have any signs at all. Other ones, they may have intermittent vomiting, weight loss, anorexia. It's very rare, but it seems to be most common in the Midwestern U.S., particularly in pets with access to the outdoors. How are these guys, this type of worm, very different, the stomach worm? They are the only worms to predominantly live in the stomach of their dog and cat hosts. Other worms, such as tapeworms or hookworms, they mainly occupy the small intestines. Stomach worms, in terms of feeding, they're similar to a hookworm, or they hook into the tissue. One other interesting fact about stomach worms is they're far less likely than many other worms to cause sickness. It's like your dog or cat could have one, you wouldn't even know it. How do they get infected? This worm, the stomach worm, they're maintained in wildlife species such as coyotes, wolves, foxes, bobcats, and raccoons, among others in North America. These wild carnivores, they pass stomach worm eggs in their feces. Other hosts, they ingest these eggs, become infected. Intermediate hosts include cockroaches, crickets, beetles. And then small animals will eat these intermediate insects, such as rodents, lizards, frogs, snakes, hedgehogs, and your dog, your cat, he become infected by eating any one of these infected insects or animals. Once it's ingested, then the worms go through their life cycle, form into adults in your dog's stomach, and they're attached, hanging out there in the stomach. So, as I said, they may have GI signs, vomiting, vomiting, diarrhea, anorexia, blood in the stool. They're more difficult to diagnose, but if your veterinarian suspects that your dog, your cat, has a parasite, by far and away, the easiest thing to do is just go ahead and deworm your dog, deworm your cat. All the typical dewormers, you know, such as fenbendazole, that's Panicure, we've talked about it for cancer, Pyran, kind of the most common wormer, it's been in veterinary practice for 50 years, they're all really safe, uh, conventional dewormers. You could use any one of those and that will kill the stomach worm. And once they're dewormed, prognosis is great. So what does it mean? Well, your dog is acting kind of weird, some vomiting, vomiting diarrhea. You've got some of these carnivores around your area where you live. Possible here she has stomach worms. It's not a bad idea. Maybe somebody's diagnosed your dog with inflammatory bowel disease, a food allergy. It's not a bad idea to rule out a parasite. A little trial with something like Panicure is a super good option. It's very safe. It will cause no ill effects. 
So thanks, you guys, for listening to this edition of the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. This was Podcast 113. Questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at www.theinternetpetvet.com. I encourage you to get a copy of my free book, Natural Health for Dogs and Cats. You can get that by going to www.veterinarysecrets.com. Once again, thanks for listening. It's Dr. Jones.